How's everybody doing this afternoon? Good. I'm going to see if we can work this thing properly. This is the first time I've wore one of these, so I'm trying to get used to it. Alrighty. So, love. What do we think about when we hear that? Love. More than a feeling. Now, that kind of plays off a song that some people in here be too young to know about. But it's a real question to, to really ask when you go thinking about it. What is this thing called love really all about? Is it simply something that, you know, we sing about Jesus loves me to the very basic children's song? Is it just something we sing about? Is it just something that we say? Something that we feel? Because, see, if, if we can't define what love is, we can't be the Christian's or the church that God called us to be. Because what does the Bible say about God? God is what? Love. So if we don't know what love is, do we really have the relationship with our Savior that we need to have? And this is something that we all need to step back and really take inventory of. So that's what we're going to talk about. Webster's Dictionary, and I looked this up because our dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, doesn't really give you a clear picture of what love is all about but I'm going to read it anyway because I want to compare it to what God's word says about it Webster's dictionary defines love as this a feeling of strong or constant affection for a person a feeling right off the bat Webster's dictionary has missed it now does love have to do with feelings and emotion yeah but that's after the fact those things are because we love. They're, they're like the works that we talk about when we talk about salvation. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Those feelings, those emotions are the fruits of our love. But that's not what love is at all. So let's look. And this scripture is not up there. But we're going to dive off into this 1 Corinthians in just a second. But John 3.16 gives us the real definition of what love is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So according to John 3.16, love then is a sacrificial choice to meet someone else's needs. Because if we think that God sacrificed his son because of some giddy feeling that he got from loving us somehow, then we've missed it. But if we say that that's what love is, is a feeling, then you automatically got to assume that. God, got, God gave his son in spite of who we are. Despite that we were against him, God made a choice to love us. So let's look at the characteristics of love. Let's dive right in. The scripture should be on your screen, but we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. And I'll give you a second to get there if you're going to want to turn in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very familiar passage when we start talking about love. But let's see what God's word actually has to say about this thing called love. Starting in one, verse 1, reading straight through and then we'll just dive right in. It says, If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I have, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if if I have all faith so as I can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have 
and give my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. Right off the bat, you don't see anything in this passage of Scripture that we like to call the love chapter dealing with feeling at all. It is a choice all the way through. So let's dive in and look at what God's Word says about each one of these. We're going to go right down through the list of what what the writer of 1 Corinthians has to say to us. Love is patient. Patient defined as being able to remain calm and not become annoyed when waiting for a long time or when dealing with problems or difficult people. Now, if nobody, if somebody in here says that they've never struggled with that, I almost need to sit down and talk with you and figure out how you did it. Okay? Because believe it or not, we deal with difficult people in church. And I know we don't like to think about that, but we do. And if we don't learn how to be patient, and you better be careful praying for patience, because let me tell you, a lot of times when I've prayed for it, you better look for a difficult situation to come along for you to have to show that you can be patient. Patience is huge, because if we can't get this one, the rest of them, it's going to be kind of difficult. So we got to learn how to deal with difficult people in a peaceful way. Number two, love is kind. Webster's Dictionary also comes short in defining this just like they do love, but I'm going to read it anyway. The original, or what Webster's Dictionary says basically is that being kind is feeling for somebody or having sympathy for somebody. Again, they use the word feeling. It's out of place. The original definition of the word kind in Scripture is all about action being kind is to see another person's needs not just feel for them but to put feet on it and to get out and get your clothes dirty and help somebody now that may look different for anybody in here from helping somebody in your class or somebody that's struggling in school or somebody that's struggling on your job or somebody just needs encouragement whatever it is it may look different but it's it's more than just then, okay, well, I feel bad for you. And God tells us to pray for everybody. God tells us to encourage and pray for one another. But we got to put feet on it if we're going to be his church because that's what we're called to do. We're the body of Christ. We're the arms. We're the legs. We're the feet. Everybody's got a purpose. And if we're going to be the church, we got to put feet on that kindness and not just have it in here. Love does not envy, verse 4. Love, and this is, this is a cool way to look at this, love does not recognize, I'm sorry, reverse that. Love recognizes that not everyone will have what others have, but it chooses to be satisfied with what he does have. For instance, look at the friendship that David and Jonathan had in the Bible. Jonathan was a prince, wealthy, had status, Think of the, the president is what we can compare it to today. And then you got David, who would most likely be like me, that drives a truck around all day, that has no real status, 
right? But Jonathan, if you read the, the affectionate friendship that these two had, Jonathan was willing to defend David against his own father's wrath. But David didn't have anything to offer Jonathan, but he didn't look down on him. And both roles is what we have got to find in Christians and ourselves to do because we, we have got to learn to be satisfied with what we have. And then if we have more than others, not to look down on them because both of them, to some extent, is envy. It's completely against what Christ taught us to do as the church. The same thing with John the Baptist and Jesus. In John chapter th- 3, verse 30, it says, about John the Baptist when Jesus came on the scene it said John said he must increase but I must decrease he recognized that even though you know John was a famous preacher he came out of the desert and just had all these followers and and had people he was you know the one baptizing and just had a revival going in his day but he didn't let any of that get to him he realized the real purpose that he was down here in the same way, Jesus never used any of the power that he had to be better than anybody. The one that is better than anybody never took advantage of it. In fact, he said, everything that I do is to point to my Heavenly Father. Everything. So we can't envy. We can't look down on others. And we can't look up and be jealous of everything that goes on around us. We've got to learn to be satisfied. Verse 4 again, love is not boastful. Real godlike love does not do good things for others and then boast about them for attention. To do good for others just to get a pat on the back, we've, we've missed it. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a word that I've learned to kind of use. I'm not but about five years into marriage, okay? But I've learned these two words called brownie points. That's, yeah, see, that's what we're talking about. When we're, when we're doing love, if I want something, and she already knows this, I'm not confessing this to her for the first time, okay? If, she, if I want something, or if I see that something's going to cost a little too much that I really want to go to Academy or Woods and Water to get, you know what I do? I find something that she really likes, and I go buy it. And then I say, look, how about this? And, you know, we make a deal, right? This is what, this is what happens. When we look at love as being something that's to be boasted about, we start looking at love the completely wrong way and look at it as just a way to get something from somebody else. Look at Romans 5. I haven't got this on the screen, but check this out. Look at what Jesus has to say about this. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Let's compare what he had to say about it versus our brownie points mentality, okay? Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 8. It says, But God shows His love for us in that what? While we were yet sinners, enemies, haters, wherever you want to put there, Christ died for us. We have nothing to offer our Savior at all. And He loved us enough to choose to die for us. No brownie points. He just wanted a relationship with us. Now that's a little bit humbling to my, to my story, but I just have to confess, and everybody in here has probably had the same experience, so I'm not talking to inexperienced people. But we get where Jesus is going with this. 
We have got to completely lay aside what we think we would get out of it and choose to love anyway. Not conceited. This is in verse 4 as well. Conceited, or another word is puffed up, may be in your Bible. Conceited or puffed up is to think, wow. And this is completely backwards, but this is what it means. Wow, I am so good at loving others. It's kind of like if you think about a tire. A tire is full of air, hot air most of the time, right? That's what our love is like if we walk around thinking, man, I'm good at this thing that I'm doing. It's like, man, I'm, I'm really good at being humble, right? That sounds backwards, but that's, that's, that's what we're talking about. If we're boasting about it, if we're conceited and it's just full of hot air, there's no real substance to what we do. And it's going to fade out really quick. Because if it was based on a feeling, my God would have never came and died for me. And that's humbling to think about. But he chose to. And so he asked us to do the same thing. We are to choose to really have substance when we say, I love you. Even if you don't ever say it. To love so much the people that are around us that we can't stand. That word, when you look at John 3.16, and I've had this explained to me by our pastor at our church, he said, when it says, for God so loved the world, what he's saying is God loved us so much that he couldn't stand to see us in the condition we were in. He had to do something about it. What if we had that same kind of passion for people outside of here? Because it's easy, most of the time anyway, to say that you love people in church. But it's hard when you get outside of here and there's people that look different, that smell different, that act different. If our love is just puffed up, if it's just full of nothing, we're not going to choose to do any of that if it's not real love that we're talking about. Continue on in verse 5. Love does not act improperly. It's not rude, some of the Bibles may say, or disrespectful. This is a tough one because this is talking about being polite, courteous, and respectful to others. Driving, for instance. Seamus is having to deal with this right now, and I just got back from Tennessee having to deal with it all the way here. Traffic is an awful thing when you're trying to say that you love somebody because a lot of times you don't think there's many people worth loving on the interstate besides yourself. Because you think you're the only one that can drive. And at this point in time, everybody else needs to just leave the road. Right? I'm not the only one that deals with this. Okay? My initial reaction to people that I think are, you know, that I'm superior to in my driving skills, which I'm not. Those are the very people that I've just got to take a deep breath and realize, man, wait a minute. They could be actually going through something that's causing them to be distracted. Or maybe it's somebody at school or work. I've got, I deal with this every day at the job that I'm at. And I know you do too. With, with people that just like to, it's almost like they wake up in the morning and have a notebook full of things they can do to get up underneath your skin. And that is their purpose. That is the only reason they punch the time clock is to get up underneath your skin. And you know what? If we allow them to do that, They've won. Satan has got that battle wrapped up. 
because we have not only not shown love, but we could very well lose a testimony because of our inability to resist reacting to that person the way that we shouldn't. And this is hard. Believe it or not, I get up underneath my wife's skin every once in a while. But I'm going to tell you something. And I would say this, I tell her this all the time, and I hope she don't think and get embarrassed. But I've never seen a greater picture of Jesus than when I got married. Because I'm going to tell you something, she puts up with a lot. Okay? And I love her for that. So, love doesn't act improperly. It shows love even when it's hard. It's not selfish. Verse 5, it says it looks out for others' needs and does not think that life revolves around me. we got to choose to love others and be motivated by this love that Christ has for us. John 3.16, we've already read this. It is hard not waking up in the morning with a hundred things to do. And the first thing that you hear is after your alarm goes off, a lot of our phones go off with the next latest Facebook status or ESPN or whatever you got your phone set to. Most of the time, it's all of those in one. Everything just comes at me right in the middle of my quiet time and totally messes me up for a minute. And right off the bat, we're focused on ourselves and what, what those specific alerts are designed to do and, and to cater to what we want to hear. Right off the bat, we have to fight it. And selfishness is tough because there is so much that we have to do between trying to work out and trying to eat right and trying to do our job right at work, trying to do school, homework, band, football. There is so much wrapped up in one day that it is real easy to look right past another person's needs. And before too long, you're wrapped up in your own day and this person driving by that may have an issue that they're dealing with or a person in school that may be having an issue that they're dealing with, you look right past it. And in fact, you get mad and react like you shouldn't. And then love is completely defeated in that situation. We cannot be selfish. Selfish is completely opposite of the way Christ showed us what love is all about. Love is not easily provoked. This kind of goes along with improper, does not act improperly. It says it does not have a short temper. Even when it is easy or feels like we could just blow up at somebody, it just, oh, it just makes you so mad that you just got to say something. That you handle it peaceably. This is really hard. A lot of people really struggle with this. I went to a Christian school. I went to Cahaba Christian. Me and my brothers all did. And it... It was such a stunner after I got out of that private Christian school and got off into the workplace and realized just how bad the world actually is. Because some of the things that I was hearing for the first time after I got my first job and got out, and even now, gosh, I didn't know this kind of stuff existed, man. We were so in that Christian zone at Cahaba that it's like, my goodness, what have we been, what is this? Why are we even out here? And you see people all the time get so easily provoked and have such a foul mouth that, my goodness, it drags me down in a day to hear people talk the way they talk. And do you know that even if we don't use dirty words, even if we don't use God's name in vain, that if our speech sounds like that of the world, they're not really wanting to listen to when we start talking about Jesus because that's backwards. We can't sing in the choir and preach and talk about Jesus in our Sunday school classes and try to come to church and 
you mess around and let somebody else know that you're doing all that and then you slip around and it's not like yeah we're going to make mistakes okay i'm not preaching perfection okay because we're not going to be perfect but when if if somebody starts seeing you living a habitual life where you're enjoying this whatever it is foul mouth or or whatever whatever sin that you're struggling with as far as this goes we've lost our testimony all because we can't maybe keep our mouth shut or can't get away from this this one thing that can, continues to provoke us at work. We've got to be aware of this. Verse 5 again. This is another big one. All of them are really big, but they just, they, it seems like they keep getting bigger. Keeps no records of wrongs. Simply put, if someone does us wrong, we need to settle it peacefully, forgive, and move on. A lot of times, though, we like to say, okay, I'm sorry, and then stick that thing in our back pocket and wait for an argument to come up and bring that thing back out. See, I told you I'm going to mess this thing up right off the bat. Hold on a second. A lot of times we like to stick, stick that thing in our back pocket and bring it back out when we go to have an argument. Be like, hey, you remember when you did this to me? This is an awful idea, and again, five years of marriage okay I'm trying to learn as much as I can in the first five years because I hear that the earlier you learn it the better off you are okay this thing that you're pulling out ammo out of your back pocket and holding dirt over your wife's head is not a good idea it's, it's just not and all kidding aside it's not a good idea anywhere because if we are constantly remembering the bad in everybody and holding bad things and negative attitudes in our head, are we really going to be effective outside of going to church ourselves? Are we really going to reach anybody with that attitude? No, because you know the way Jesus saw us? He's seen our sin and had compassion. It hurt him to see us in our sin. And he says that he even goes as far as he looks at everything that we've done. And this took, this, I still don't got my mind around it. But you think about it just for a second. We're not talking about he forgave us for just past sins. And he just forgives us by the sin. Do you realize that he don't see time? So he's seen everything that I've done. Everything. From the first sin that I committed, however old, three or four years old I was, to 99, however long I live. He's seen all of it. And says, man, I love you anyway. In fact, because of your sin, I love you even more because you need a relationship with me. He don't hold anything against us or else he wouldn't have died for us. He holds nothing. There's no ammo in God's back pocket waiting to throw at us. All we have to do is ask for forgiveness and repent. So we need to learn that lesson of forgiveness as well. Finds no, this verse 6, finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in truth what brings us real happiness now I'm going to confess that if somebody and this is again I'm sorry I just I'm fresh off the road so this driving thing is kind of a a uh, illustration point for me at this point okay but when somebody cuts me off going down the interstate and they're going 80 I really expect about five miles up the road that I'll see some blue lights on the side of the road and that person will be sitting there getting pulled over I mean am I the only one that you want kind of retribution sometimes, right? You want justice to be served. That is completely opposite. What brings us real happiness right here? Do we rejoice in other people's 
hardships? Do we say, man, that's what they deserve, that's what they had coming to them? Now, I know, look, justice, law enforcement, I'm not, look, all that, I am 100% for justice being served. But what I am talking about in this case is my attitude and my heart toward it. Is it really about justice being served or is it really about my vengeful attitude to get back at somebody? Because let me tell you something, if you think and I think that we have something to get back at others with, then none of us should be sitting here. Because as far as I know, we've all sinned a lot more against God than we've ever sinned against each other. And we have got a lot that God could hold over our heads and say, look, I'm fixing to serve justice. But you know what? God did a little something called grace. He kept it from me. That should have been me on the cross. We want to talk about it like it's a, a, sometimes I think about it and it's like we, we don't even really grasp what it is, but he didn't just die a physical death. That was all my sin, all my emotion, everything that I've ever felt he died for. Just so I could have mercy and grace to appease the wrath of God. We're not just saved from our sin. We're saved from a wrath of God that could strike all of us down at any point in time if God served us justice in what we deserved all the time. Grace. Man. Luke chapter 23. This one's not on there either, but let's turn to it. Luke chapter 23 in verse 34. Luke 23, 34, and it says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is Jesus, naked, beaten to where you can't even see who he is. Beard plucked out, crown of thorns on his head, hanging shamefully on a cross and looking out at those that just did it and saying, forgive them. I couldn't have done that. My sinful nature would have struck all of them down at one time and said, forget about it. But he didn't do that. And that's why we're here. That's why we're able to celebrate at funerals knowing that our loved ones are going on to be with the Lord if they're saved. That's the reason we have hope, period. Not just in the life to come, but now. It's because our God extends grace to us. He doesn't rejoice in our wrongdoings. He died to save us from them. What kind of attitude do we have toward others with that? Verse 7. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes and endures all things. Bears, simply put, is protecting or standing up for others. Now, if we're holding stuff against them and we constantly had a bad attitude, we're not going to want to take up for anybody. But this is encouraging texting, calling somebody, praying for them, being there to lift them up instead of put them down all the time. Believes all things. Gives others. This is a cool way to look at it. Somebody gave me this. Believes, believe all things is to give others the benefit of the doubt. Does not judge others too quickly before it gives them a chance to prove themselves. Guys, this is sensitive because I've had to move past this in my own life. But this is, this is us casting judgment when we have no business doing it. Now God, yes, we are to look at it. We can, you can kind of tell if somebody 
is not saved. God tells us to kind of be fruit inspectors. That's kind of what we do. Okay? But it is no right of mine to cast somebody aside and say, you know what? There's no hope for that person. There's no hope for that person. They don't dress. They stink. They, 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 they act different. Their music is different. Their hairstyle is different. The weirdo is wearing suspenders. There is no, and weird thoughts, there is no way that we're going to be able to reach anybody if somehow we think that we have the authority to pick and choose who receives the love of Christ that should come out of our life. Because as far as I know, none of us have nail prints to prove that we have that right. None of us. I'm talking to myself here. We are to give others enough benefit of the doubt because God did the same for us. Hope's all things. This goes right along with it. My dad, is, is, he's, always, he's always said this one thing, and I've, I remember this one phrase. He says a lot of ones that embarrass me a lot, and if you know my dad, you kind of know that. He's just, and he's gotten worse in his older age, but... He has always told us, because I worry like nobody's business, okay? And he's all the time having to tell me, you be positive until you absolutely have to be negative. Hopes all things. Gives people and situations a chance to find something good in everything and everyone. Do y'all hear that? Am I messing up back here? Okay. Can y'all still hear me okay? Okay, we're good. This goes right along hand in hand with believes all things. To give others the benefit of the doubt. There is something good. It's hard to find in some people. I admit that. But there is something good that God has created in every single one of us. There's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad that goes on. But we are to give people that chance to prove that there's something good in them. I'm not going to talk about this, but politics really don't show you a good job how to do that these days, does it? We like to stomp people around and shove them around and, oh, hey, yeah, I need to be your leader. We need to lead by example with this. Because if we don't show others that we're bigger than all this name-calling and gossip and showing the opposite of love to others, how much of a leader do we expect to be? Because all of us as Christians, we're called as leaders, okay? Regardless of whether you think you are or not, we're called to lead others to Christ. We're called to lead in some form or fashion. And if we're not looking at the good things in other people, if we're not giving them a chance, we can't lead anybody. Endures all things. Love never fails. Verse 7 through the first part of verse 8. It remains strong even when things get hard and it's hard to love. And this, is, this sums up everything that we've been talking about. Through all these things that would make it very hard to love, love endures. This kind of love that we've been talking about is not simply, well, I fell in love. 
You hear country songs that run that in the ground all the time, and it makes me sick. All kind of music runs this thing called love in the ground and makes it something that is just an object when it is a choice. Those of you in here that has been married 30, 40, 50 years, it hasn't always felt good. Even in the five years that we've been married, I've had to choose, my wife's had to choose to love me in times where it is completely not in our nature to do it. And it's a choice that we make. And the only way that we can do it is that we realize the real love that God had for us and to ask the only one that can accomplish this in us to give us strength to do it. Because without Christ, if you don't, to know God is to know love because God is love. So if we don't know him, there's no way that we can really bear down when it's hard and choose to love others. You see this kind of example, we're talking about the church, just kind of wrap things up. You see things, the Pharisees, I'm real bad about putting them down, right? Jesus all the time had confrontation with them. And this was the, the, the church, the, the, the religious leaders of the day, so to speak. And, you know, we, we look at them and, and we're like, you know, they're, they're pretty awful people. They were legalistic, self-righteous, well-dressed hypocrites who held other people to a standard that they never wanted to hold themselves. But if you sit back and you think about that, how much, now I'm not talking about our church in Tuscaloosa, I'm not talking about this church here, I'm talking about as a body of believers in general in America, this, we need to step back and wait a minute before we go judging the Pharisees. Because a lot of times, we're so steeped in our way of doing things. We're so steeped in our, in our well-dressed, law-abiding self that we think that we can't, we got our Sunday best on but are too self-righteous to get down and get it dirty and put feet on the faith and the love that we preach and talk about in church. Now, this hurts me. I've had to look at my life a lot this week because, man, when you go applying this stuff, it's hard. Now, am I saying that we don't need to dress our best? No. Am I saying that, we don't, that we're going to be perfect somehow? No. But I am saying we need to evaluate our attitude about the things that we do and the attitudes that we have. Because if we don't, we're going to miss putting this love into action. See, love without action is not love at all. You can't have the feeling unless you make the choice. So to wrap it up and give us something to think about, what if God, after knowing about all this stuff and all that love is and maybe all that we're not and all these imperfections that we have to work on, what if God loved us the same way that we love others? Would we actually think that God loved us? Let's pray.